Welcome to Pod Academy. In this series, we focus on the study of sound. It's a new world. It's like the sound is in the air, as everybody jokes at the moment. And it really is. We have that ability now to have people who are dedicated to thinking about how we hear. And what kind of rich culture is that? This is Mike Wilde. He has many roles at the Royal College of Art, including instructing in both the animation and sound departments. For the last few years, he has run the Sound Lab at RCA. In this program, we will hear from Mike and a few of his students about how they're breaking new sound in the academic world. I'm Lily Ames. So I suppose in in sound at the Royal College of Art, we treat it um, in a couple of ways. One, first of all, is a post-production technique uh, for filmmaking. So for animation, we have a, uh, quite a well-respected animation department. And the tracks are entirely crafted here. So the students uh, learn how to create their own foley, their own sound effects, atmospheres, that kind of thing, and record it themselves and so forth. Um, they also uh, then move on. We mix it professionally and so forth. We have a full 5.1 one uh, Pro Tools-based surround sound uh, mixing facility. And we also have uh, a large uh, sound recording uh, area, so large live room. And uh, we have everything from uh, bands to orchestras uh, to individual musicians uh, to uh, Foley sessions, you name it, we do it. So that's the more conventional part of it. Um, in In an academic sense, we also think of sound in a fine art context. Uh, a few years ago uh, here in the UK, a, uh, a, an artist by the name of Susan Phillips won what is you know, generally considered Britain's biggest uh, art prize, the Turner Prize. And it was for a work rendered entirely in sound. And since then, we've kind of seen a sort of explosion, really, in people wanting to work in uh, sound for its own sake. So sound for galleries, sound for installation. Um, and really, I suppose the the way to think of it um, is to think of sound as or the ear temporarily at the moment, perhaps temporarily, um, or perhaps in the long term, I don't know, um, displacing the eye as the seat of thinking. I suppose in the last five or six years, we've seen an explosion in people working in sound in different ways. We've also seen people ex- the explosion of people being able to work with sound because of its democratization. You know, Pro Tools, the granddaddy of software, for example, uh, now works on a laptop. And they've also now, the company that owns it, Avid, have now announced that a 16-track version of it will be available free to use for everybody on Earth. So that's an interesting development. And so people are able to now manipulate sound, design sound, and think of sounds in new ways without a great deal of knowledge or expertise. They can just get going with it. So we've seen that uh, happen. And we've also seen uh, people become interested in some of the myths of sound. 
So there's a lot of uh, thought around sound uh, in terms of what it can do to the body and how it can affect you, you physically. And we know that it does have physical effects. So we're seeing a lot of new technology and people, um, everyday people being able to grapple with that, including artists. As sound technology becomes more accessible, students have started to show interest in the field. Um, I've noticed people uh, being able to uh, think and speak more intelligently about sound um, because there's a lot of thinking out there about sound. So that's the first thing. Um, the other thing is I've noticed people wanting to engage in sound. It used to be the case that you would go into a gallery and if there was a moving image work, it would very often be silent. I don't think that's the case anymore. I, I think people um, are more brave about um, accompanying their music, their moving image by sound they've deliberately chosen, as opposed to sound that is just naturally, say, upon on on the shooting footage or whatever. Um, so people have an intentionally uh, brought sound to their moving image work. I've noticed a lot of that. I've also noticed people thinking, realizing maybe the emotional power that sound has. Uh, so that's certainly something that uh, we've seen a lot. In terms of enrollment, uh, the Royal College, uh, the enrollment at the Royal College has increased steadily over the last five or six years, and uh, and uh, studying fine art, despite the increased expense, is more popular than ever. So people are thinking about that and thinking about how to express uh, what they uh, express themselves in 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 new ways, in different ways. Um, the canvas has kind of moved on. You know, the canvas is anything. So we have uh, a variety of students at the moment who are thinking very clearly about sound. Uh, for example, we uh, have uh, uh, one student who's working in printmaking around uh, the, f the, the actual making of the print, having the print move in relationship to sound. Um, so that's a highly experimental and uh, thought-provoking way to work. We're also seeing uh, architecture students working in sound and thinking about sound for buildings and how sound uh how, how sound works within buildings just you know how to make a building sound nice you know does it is it a loud building is it too reverberant all that kind of thing really thinking about sound in terms of how they design how they create things um so we're seeing that as well we're also seeing people build uh uh objects related to sound to explore the way sound could potentially work in the future. Um, we've had microphones and speakers for a century, and the technology has moved on somewhat, but then not moved on in other ways. And so uh, we, we're seeing students uh, who are uh, experimenting with sound and objects, uh, sound and how we will hear it in the future. Ben Dudek is one of the students from the architecture department showing an interest in the sound lab. He's creating built environments that emit sound. So rather than buildings having speakers in the corner of rooms emitting the sound, which seems quite you know old-fashioned in a lot of ways because now we have the potential to build it into the walls and the, the floors. Only buildings aren't designed to do this yet. So I'm designing the buildings that can do that. So I managed to find a piece of technology, I suppose, that allows me to turn any object from a table to a pillow into a, what, what I suppose is a speaker. Um, so you can turn all these funny random objects into sound-emitting devices and therefore use them in ways that haven't been used before. So what you're hearing is a pillow. 
um, rather than a speaker. Um, and it, it it's the ability to play sound through anything these days. Anything can be used as a speaker. Um, turns objects into speakers or materials that you never would have imagined into speakers. In this case, my mum's pillow from our house that I grabbed as she was watching TV and uh, little did she know it would be in the, the college exhibition a week later. Being <laughs> if you listen to this object, yeah. um, it can only play the medium frequencies of any song well because when it goes too high, it's not designed for high or low parts of the frequency sound ladder, so bass or high singing doesn't really work and you can hear it sort of shake when it gets to those points which is why with all the others they sort of came together and played all their appropriate parts like a, like a choir. So I, I realised that there were, all, there were all these potentials at smaller scales and I thought I wanted to be sort of the concept designer for how this could be used on a much larger scale and be really ambitious and slightly abstract about it. So I, I'm designing a, a landscape in terms of a, a festival space, for example, that emits sound from the ground. So the sound isn't emitted from speakers anymore. It's submitted from the, submitted from the surface you're walking on. And that's never been done at that scale before or even thought of. I mean, the designers of this technology, when I phoned them up, were like, well, yeah, it makes sense, but I no, didn't think it, I never thought of it. Ben's work is so new, there isn't even an academic term for it. So there's no, there's no specific term for it. I mean, it's just not done. And, I, and I've talked to so many experts, and they're all they're sound designers in L.A. and New York, and, and, and they, they've been pushing the limits of, of, of sound, art, and movement. And all they've done is use it as a novelty scale, turning a, speak, a chair into a speaker, which is really cool, being able to turn a chair into a speaker. And, you know, being able to, you could do so many things with that, like have, you know, buses where sound is emitting from the seats. You can hear the radio on a seat rather than... And there's so many applications. All I'm trying to do is push it to the limit and design a building that emits sound from its actual structure. And that means that it doesn't actually need to be built from bricks and mortar. It means that it needs to be built from materials that are conducive to this technology. For example, fabrics and pillows and books. So for all I know, architecture can be designed in any way now. Why not design a building made of paper that's perfect for emitting sound? Because now with engineers and computer technology, anything can be designed, you know. For students like Ben who study sound, there's an excitement in the unchartered territory. I mean, it can be anything. I mean, it can be, this is the terrifying possibilities of it. It could be anything. It can be from, like I was just talking to the Deaf Blind Association and they were like, oh, it'd be great if you could design a building and we could teach people how to feel space by the vibrations in the floor and walls. Because all they would have to do is feel the floor with their feet and they could feel the distance to the walls because of the, the, the rever reverberation off the walls. And, you know, you're built, you can build this into the fabric of society and change the way people interact. So, that, so the blind deaf one was one example. Another one, uh, alert systems, like being able to send vibrations through the earth across a landscape so people can hear things, uh, not in a way through the air, because 
sending things through the air is really inefficient. Like people don't realize, but speakers are really inefficient objects. Like there's so many better ways of doing it. Like they're using the materials around us. Um, so they're they're just two, but there's thousands. And talking to Mike, the sound engineer here. Um, he just gets so excited about all the possibilities he can imagine in his field. And everyone I talk to from design product students to everyone else gets excited in their own field. As an architect, I feel like I have the ability to use this in the most extreme way and therefore jump ahead of the game and then jump back and say, OK, you can do all these smaller applications. Whereas Ben is bringing sound design into the practical world, some other students at the RCA are giving sound a more artistic treatment. The other thing that we're seeing is we're seeing people uh, going back to some of the experimental techniques that in some ways has been lost through convention. I think there was a time in the 80s and 90s when people, uh, I, I'm not sure how to, how to explain it, but they became ex- almost embarrassed about experimentation. Like, it wasn't, it's, it's not the done thing. That we, but we're getting back to that spirit of the 50s and 60s, the music concrete idea, the idea that uh, the world of sound can be experimented with. Jackie and Yeshu are two students who are experimenting with sound. They're making a conceptual musical album made out of field recordings. Um, so we, we work with field recordings and musical instruments and also Foley, which we record like in the studio. And so and my name is Jackie Ford and I'm studying at the RCA uh, my second year doing information experience design. Hi, my name is Yashun and I'm doing my second year in information experience design at the Royal College of Art and I work with sound. So this can take us to thinking about how noisy the world is outside and and how to hear sounds maybe differently. So to to go out into the world and do some field recordings of things that may normally just be like background noise but maybe quite aggressive sounds, of, like sounds of transport and things that we're subjected to all the time and to capture those sounds and to bring them uh, into our own world and to work with them and change them so so we can really get a sense of how we listen to these sounds. It provokes us to um, think about sounds of a space that probably is absent of sounds and so we're very interested in the um, the senses of the body that seems to be at the current context of where we are and the times that we are inhabiting seems to be hypermedia, um, loads of um, visual and uh, sounds affecting our senses. So at some level, I think we want to go to the act of um, listening, but also to look at these interconnected senses and to rework those feelings in a way. We are currently working on a sound concept album which looks at the at a story of a man who's located inside the eye.
And why was it important to affix a narrative to the music? The, I think the conversation was more about um, how to, I mean, there are a couple of things that's informing this process. One is um, that we definitely did have a problem like at the loudness of the environment outside. Uh, and the second is that I think we wanted to have a human element of where you could uh, experience a story. So there was something hum humanizing about doing it. And I think music, like one of our... Music is not just an impression, but it can have a lingering aspect. And somehow the story would uh, be able to carry on while just while music or sounds, uh, songs can be just an impressions of an idea. They seem like a continuous thing. We're doing a conceptual album and, uh, and conceptual albums do have these uh, tangents. Sound has a, an ability to be three-dimensional and fill up a space without being uh, very definitive or affirmative, like how an image at some level uh, illustrates sound for me at many levels. I mean, it, it defines a particular moment of action or a moment of uh, occurrence or a situation or a scene. Uh, while sound gives the listener or the viewer a an absolute space of interpretation and so while we have a narrative in mind I don't think we're going to enforce it on our viewer to like think through it uh, in that particular di dimension so in a way like image has a way of putting it in stone but in sound you can sculpt an environment or a texture or an atmosphere and people can inhabit it and make their own interpretations of it I think it's the most open interpretive material to work with I think sound art now is a lot more accessible than it first was. I think there was this, you know, perception of the 1960s black turtleneck radical uh, with some sort of experimental sound, but 
I I think that's all changed. You know, the the experimental sound is everywhere. So in the 50s and 60s, uh, you know, composers often coming from a Western high culture musical uh, background would uh, take sound from the real world and make compositions of it. For example, Stockhausen's quite famous, uh, you know, composition for four helicopters or uh, John Cage's four minutes and 33 seconds in which it's four minutes and 33 seconds of silence. This all seems rather strange. Um, and using sound from the real world. But in the 1980s, hip-hop and the invention of sampling culture completely changed all that. You know, we listen to things on the radio now in pop music, whether it's Kanye West or or uh, or any pop music, and it is made literally by sampling pots and pans. And we listen to it every day, and these things sell millions of records. So we're now used to sonically... Ex- hearing experimental sound, even if we're not aware of it. You've been listening to Pod Academy. I'm Lily Ames. <laughs>